the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Eight minutes after four o'clock is our time and portions of our program today are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. Today we'll talk with Anthony Seigrist. He is the author of Speaking of God, An Essential Guide to Christian Thought. We'll also talk in the second hour of the program with Stephen Curtis Chapman. His Acoustic Christmas is coming to the Portland area this Sunday. He's also going to be introducing uh, Jillian Edwards, who will be performing as well. That concert is Sunday at Rolling Hills Community Church, 7 o'clock p.m. Tickets have gone fast, but if you're interested in uh, trying to purchase some, go to kpdq.com. Stephen Curtis Chapman will uh, join us in the 5 o'clock hour, so looking forward to that. Taking a look at some of the day's headlines, House Democrats are preparing to announce at least two articles of impeachment. They did so today. We'll talk more in detail about that. But um, the articles of impeachment focused on obstruction of Congress, not obstruction of justice, but obstruction of Congress and abuse of power. But all the details aren't settled yet. The markup session by the Judiciary Committees to prepare the articles would come either Wednesday or Thursday. Notably absent from the planned charges was a bribery count. Democrats had repeatedly accused the president of essentially bribing Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden and even floated the idea of drafting an article of impeachment to that effect. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi convened the House chairman leading the impeachment inquiry in her office on Monday after a day-long and heated Judiciary Committee hearing that laid out the case against the president as Democrats warned of the supposed risk his actions toward Ukraine has posed to U.S. elections and national security. The chairman left the meeting late Monday at, at Capitol Hill. Uh, with some saying an uh, announcement would be uh, imminent, and it did take place this morning. What remained uncertain was whether the uh, Speaker of the House would reach beyond the Ukraine probe to former special counsel Robert Mueller's findings of Trump's actions in his report on Russian interference in the 2016 election. The Justice Department's inspector general, in a long-awaited review concerning the origins of the Russia investigation, determined in a report released yesterday that the FBI complied with policies in launching the politically explosive probe, but also flagged significant concerns with how certain aspects of the investigation were conducted and supervised, citing 17 specific incidents. Specifically, Michael Horowitz's report concluded that investigators found no intentional misconduct or political bias surrounding the probe's launch and efforts to seek a controversial Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA, warrant to monitor former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page in the early months of the investigation. John Durham, the U.S. attorney who is conducting a separate, wide-ranging investigation of the origins of the Trump-Russia probe, released a rare statement on Monday saying he disagrees with the conclusions of the so-called FISA report. Now speculation is swirling over what Durham has uncovered in his ongoing review into potential surveillance abuses against President Trump's team. Durham's inquiry has had uh, broad scope within uh, much broader than Horowitz 
including a focus on foreign actors as well as the CIA, while Horowitz concentrated his attention on the Department of Justice and the FBI alone. Also, Durham's criminal review has had additional investigative resources not available to Mr. Horowitz. Well, the New England Patriots, uh, still somewhat haunted by the 2007 Spygate scandal, has to deal with a new report that said a video crew working for the team filmed the Cincinnati Bengals sideline during Sunday's game. The latest allegations came to light when Bengals coach Zach Taylor, whose team plays New England on Sunday, confirmed that the league was investigating the crew's activities. The Patriots said in a social media post that a three-person crew for a web series titled Do Your Job inappropriately filmed the field from the press box as part of a feature on the scouting department. The filming took place without specific knowledge of league rules, the statement went on to say. Well, Democrats, uh, White House says, and the White House rather, have reached an agreement on the revised NAFTA trade pact. In fact, it was commented on just moments after the articles of impeachment announcement was made earlier today. And the expectation is it will pass in the House. But there's already been statements made in the Senate that it won't be until after the start of the new year when they will take the issue up. Uh, U.S. Attorney John Durham objected um, uh, to the IG findings on Russia probe, the origins in a stunning statement. And the FBI director, Christopher Wray, has announced 40 corrective steps in response to failures detailed in the Horowitz report. Lawmakers have reached a, a deal on the massive defense bill. Uh, eyeing Russia, Turkey, and China. And the high court justices are hearing the Obamacare case with billions of dollars at stake, $12 billion to be more precise. The Supreme Court has left in place a Kentucky abortion law mandating ultrasounds, giving informed consent its first major victory. And Virginians are preparing for a second amended battle, uh, amendment battle of their own. Well, border apprehensions have dropped for the sixth straight month in a row, and China is set to roll out an Orwellian mass surveillance tool to keep a wary eye on its people. On this day in history, in 1906, President Theodore Roosevelt becomes the first American to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for helping to mediate an end to the Russo-Japanese War. In 1817, Mississippi is admitted to as the 20th state to the Union. In 1869, women are granted the right to vote in the Wyoming Territory. 1898, a treaty is signed in Paris, officially ending the Spanish-American War. And Jane Addams becomes the first American woman to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, the co-recipient, Nicholas Murray Butler in 1931. In 64, Martin Luther King Jr. receives his Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo, saying he accepts it with an abiding faith in America and an audacious faith in the future of mankind. In 1994, on this day, Yasser Arafat, Shimon Peres, and Yitzhak Rabin received the Nobel Peace Prize, pledging to pursue their mission of healing the anguished Middle East. Hmm, I wonder if they'll need to give those back. In 1995, the first group of U.S. Marines arrives in the Bosnian capital of Sarajevo to join NATO soldiers sent to enforce peace in the former Yugoslavia. And on this day, finally, in 2007, former Vice President Al Gore accepts the Nobel Peace Prize with a call for humanity to rise up against a looming climate crisis and stop waging war on the environment. Well, as I mentioned, House Democrats uh, today introduced two articles of impeachment against President Trump, alleging abuse of power and obstruction of justice, uh, or rather obstruction of Congress regarding his interaction with Ukraine, touching off a rapid fire sequence that could result in a momentous floor vote in a matter of days. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments, but do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
20 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in just a few moments, we're going to talk with Anthony Sigrist. He's the author of Speaking of God, An Essential Guide to Christian Thought. Have you ever thought about theology? It's a big word, but it's really engaging in conversation about the things of Scripture. Well, as I mentioned, House Democrats uh, today introduced two articles of impeachment against the president. The framers of the Constitution, according to House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler in that announcement, prescribed a clear remedy for presidents who so violate their oath of office. No one, not even the president, is above the law. Well, his office later posted text of the articles which declare Trump's actions warrant impeachment, trial and removal from office. The White House swiftly hit back, accusing Democrats of using the Ukraine issue as an excuse for the partisan gratuitous and pathetic attempt to overthrow the Trump administration and the results of the 2016 election. Well, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy also countered at a GOP press conference that Trump's actions are absolutely not impeachable. Other countries admire us because we believe in the rule of law. We believe in due process, but not in Nancy Pelosi's house when she became speaker, he said. Well, the key Democratic uh, committee leaders, along with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, outlined their impeachment plans in a brief and pointed statement to the media early Tuesday morning and left without taking questions. Um, House uh, member Nadler previewed two articles charging the president with high crimes and misdemeanors. He said the first is dedicated to the abuse of power, alleging the president has exercised the powers of his office for personal benefit while ignoring or injuring the public interest. He said uh, the president put himself before the country while endangering national security and American democracy, which is actually a constitutional republic. Trump was engaged in unprecedented, categorical and indiscriminate defiance of the impeachment inquiry, uh, Nadler added, as he announced the second article focused on obstruction of Congress. Now, this was a very one-sided process, which the president resisted. And so some of the GOP are uh, charging that uh, perhaps contempt of Congress is not the right charge, that it was a matter of contempt on the behalf on the part of Congress. Well, the article text posted by his office reflected these statements while alleging in stark terms that the president has demonstrated that he will remain a threat to the Constitution if allowed to remain in office and has acted in a manner grossly incompatible with self-governance and the rule of law. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, who has uh, led much of the inquiry, called impeachment an extraordinary remedy. He has given us no choice, Schiff said, of the president to do nothing would make ourselves complicit in the president's abuse of his high office. Now, it seems to me that this is a a gross overstatement of the charges with um, much more hopefulness than actual fact. But nonetheless, he will be impeached in the House and the Senate will Uh, not remove him from office. That seems to be the course all of this will take. As uh, expected, the president fired back minutes later, blasting the entire inquiry as a witch hunt. Nadler just said that I pressured Ukraine to interfere in our 2020 election. Ridiculous. And he knows that that's not true. Both the president and foreign minister of Ukraine said many times that there was no pressure. Nadler and the Dems know this, but refused to acknowledge, he tweeted. White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham slammed the announcements as part of the Democrats' bid to overturn the votes of 63 million Americans. Americans who supported Trump in 2016 and to secure a victory in 2020. Today is a baseless and partisan attempt to undermine a sitting president. Speaker Pelosi and House Democrats announced the predetermined outcome of their sham impeachment. She said sometime they have to uh, they have been seeking since or rather something they've been seeking since before the president was inaugurated. While Republicans have blasted the process as partisan, dubbing it the focus group impeachment, in response to reports that Democrats tested different allegations with focus groups, Democrats are moving swiftly ahead of the holiday break. Pelosi directed the Judiciary Committee to proceed with drafting the measures just last week. Well, the clock and the calendar uh, should not be the basis for impeachment. House Judiciary Ranking Member Doug Collins 
uh, said, America's um, uh, minutes before the announcement, it is unclear at this point whether Democrats' articles focus on abuse of power and obstruction of Congress could be modified to reach beyond the Ukraine controversy and into former special counsel Mueller's investigation that will only be uh, made clear at some point days from now. Meanwhile, a small group of vulnerable House Democrats is floating the the long-shot idea of censuring the president instead of impeaching him, according to multiple lawmakers familiar with the conversations. Those Democrats, all representing districts that Trump won in 2016, huddled on Monday afternoon in the 11th hour bid to weigh additional, though unlikely, options to punish the president for his role in the Ukraine scandal as the House speeds toward an impeachment vote next week. I think it's certainly uh, certainly appropriate and might be a little more bipartisan. Who knows? Schrader uh, said Tuesday when asked about the possibility of a censure resolution, but he acknowledged time is slipping away. Well, the idea of censure, according to lawmakers, is to offer a competing alternative to impeachment that could attract at least some Republican support on the floor. It would also help Democrats avoid a lengthy impeachment trial in the Senate, which some in this group fear could tilt public opinion toward the GOP in the final months before the 2020 election. Right now, there's no other options. There uh, is another option, said one lawmaker who attended Monday's uh, meeting. Well, House Democrats unveiled these two articles. Uh, it's not likely that this uh, handful, 30-something uh, Democrats in the House will prevail, but this 11th hour bid for a censure rather than impeachment will very likely be introduced in some form um, on the floor. So we shall see. Meanwhile, three states that went for Trump in 2016, devastating Democrats, are uh, poising to uh, to do the same again if the results of a new poll hold up. And of course, everyone is poised to see what the polls are saying during this contentious period. President Trump beats every Democrat in the three key battleground states of Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. According to a new Firehouse Strategies and Optimist poll, across the board, the president is polling well against the Democratic field in each of these battleground states. Notably, Vice President Biden has seen a sharp decline in support of uh, the survey as he currently runs against President Trump in each of the three states. Now, of course, no one is elected in three states or by three states, but it's significant to see what some of the battleground states numbers look like at this point. The Republican-leaning political firm puts out a quarterly poll, but this is the first time President Trump has beaten Joe Biden and other Democrats in hypothetical matchups, with an emphasis on hypothetical. Worse for the Democrats, it turns out that voters in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania aren't wearing the Democrats' impeachment goggles either. In each of these battleground states, we find that a majority of likely 2020 voters do not support the impeachment and removal of President Trump from office. Impeachment and removal is opposed by 50.8% of voters in Michigan, 52.2% of voters in Pennsylvania, 57.9% in Wisconsin. In 2016, Trump shopped Democrats by winning all three of these key states. Trump's win in Pennsylvania in 2016 shattered the Democrats' blue wall. Trump narrowly won Michigan's 16 electoral votes and devastated Democrats when Wisconsin's 10 electoral votes put the president over the 270 mark to win the election. Voters also overwhelmingly want Congress uh, congressional Democrats to pay attention to issues instead of spending their time impeaching the president. The survey was conducted from uh, December 3rd through the 5th and interviewed 1,700 participants. The Democrats' impeachment efforts might well lead to the uh, uh, one electoral predicament uh, or prediction for November 2020, uh, and that would be very similar to what we saw when um, former President Clinton was impeached. Uh, The Republicans following that impeachment 
failed poorly in the uh, in the election. Well, former Justice Department official Ian Pryor said on Tuesday that U.S. Attorney John Durham's investigation would potentially unveil evidence of surveillance abuse against President Trump's presidential campaign team in 2016. Saying on um, Fox and Friends, I think uh, you're going to see some indications. Uh, uh, Durham as, is a nonpartisan and serious prosecutor. In the hours after Durham announced he uh, did not agree with key findings by the Justice Department's inspector general, speculation swirled over what he has uncovered in his own ongoing review into, into potential surveillance abuses against President Trump's team. Durham's inquiry has uh, had a broader scope than Horowitz, including a focus on foreign actors as well as the CIA, while Horowitz concentrated on the Department of Justice and the FBI. Pryor said that unlike Horowitz, Durham is not limited in scope to the existing Department of Justice and FBI officials. He has the striking statement uh, said the statement by Durham Monday means he's got some goods on somebody. Now, we've heard these kinds of statements prior to the release of what could be ominous reports before this being the second. The third shoe is ready to drop uh, here shortly. The Durham report, and that has to do with the FISA court and the CIA, FBI and Department of Justice. We heard that with the Mueller report. We heard it with this report. So whether or not it actually reaches to that level and the hopes upon which many have hung their uh, their future speculations about what's going to happen in Washington may be unwarranted. But nonetheless, that's the latest on that. Now, meanwhile, um, the attorney general, Bill Barr, is also blasting the FBI's conduct during the Russia investigation, saying investigators relied on flimsy evidence in launching the probe and disputing key conclusions from the, the Justice Department inspector general, Michael Horowitz, report released on Monday. Again, Horowitz was critical of the FBI for their uh, practices, but said there was no um, intent or political bias in that process. It's not yet clear when the second report is expected to be released, but that will be at some point in the middle of the impeachment imbroglio, and we'll see how that impacts uh, not only that, but the election, which is fast approaching. 30 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with uh, Anthony Segrist. He's the author of Speaking of God, An Essential Guide to Christian Thought, Essentially Theology. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 36 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Now, the word theology may seem like it's out of our reach, but it's simply speaking together about God. At least that's what my next guest says in his book, Speaking of God, an Essential Guide to Christian Thought. He is a pastor and theologian, Anthony uh, Segrist. He helps readers recover a basic language around Christian theology, helping people find their way around the Christian faith, not only explaining the relevant vocabulary and history, but also listening to conversations about faith and the big questions of life. Well, Mr. Segrist, he introduces scholars and pilgrims and traditions uh, that disclose essential truths about God and Jesus Christ, as well as concepts like creation, sin, redemption, the church, and discipleship, exploring the works of theologians like Augustine, uh, Julian of Norwich, and others. He offers readers an introduction to Christian theology throughout the ages, emphasizing common threads of thought and practice. It's important that Christian communities nurture their ability to speak about God, about Scripture, with care and with attention. Well, my guest, Anthony Segrist, is a pastor, an author, and theologian serving a Mennonite congregation in Ottawa, Ontario. He has degrees from Wycliffe College, University of Toronto, and Eastern Mennonite University. He joins us today to talk about his book, Speaking God, Speaking of God, An Essential Guide to Christian Thought. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Well, thanks for having me after that introduction. I'm not sure if there's anything else I need to say. (laughs) Well, there's much you need to say. (laughs) One of the things that I thought, especially when I was a younger woman at university, I thought in Sunday school, um, the average rank and file believer should be taught systematic theology so that we have an overarching view of what the Bible teaches in a systematic way. Would you describe, speaking of God, a, a, a kind of systematic theology, or how would you describe it? Oh, that's a great question. It's, it's close, but it's a little bit different. Um, I'm a pastor now, and uh, before coming to this congregation, I um, taught theology for about eight years at a small college in, uh, in Alberta. And one of the things that I noticed was that a lot of my students didn't have the um, philosophical equipment coming into college uh, to be able to jump into systematic theology, which was what we were asking them to do. And so in part, this book is my trying to come up with a different way of um, introducing people to that theological conversation. So it's maybe more of a biblical theology than it is a systematic mm-hmm. theology. Yeah, so we, we, we start with the uh, canonical order of Scripture, and we, we look at that grand biblical story, and we use that as the uh, set of hooks that we hang these important theological ideas on. Well, let's start with the word theology. I, I mentioned earlier, as you point out in the book, it's, it's merely speaking together about God. But it can be somewhat of a, a, an intimidating word for those who have not yeah. had formal training. Describe for us what theology is and why it's important for us to be conversant in the things of Scripture and the things of God. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I, the word theology has um, maybe gotten a, a, a bad rap. Uh, I think it intimidates a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, um, the illustrations I, I use in the book is of uh, an uncle of mine who um, went up to Ontario to go fishing once, and uh, after the um, fishing excursion was done, he, he paddled back to the shore, and uh, his, his um, fishing partner was supposed to be holding the end of the canoe while he, uh, he climbed out, and, and he wasn't. And so my uncle tried to get out of the canoe. He ended up flipping the whole thing over and, and found himself in the water and um, I think that's sometimes the experience that people have when they get into theology. It's shocking, it's intimidating, uh, and it just all seems too much. But um, what I'm trying to suggest in the book is, is theology really is just talking about God. And sometimes we do that more formally in classrooms or in church halls, and sometimes it's really informal. It's talking with a friend as we're driving somewhere. It's talking with a group of folks as we're sitting around the campfire. Um, and, you know, we're... We're fellow pilgrims trying to put our lives in conversation with Scripture and um, trying to understand why the world is both beautiful and, and uh, sometimes terrible at the same time. Um, so theology, yeah, most basically it's, it's thinking, it's speaking about God. Now, when we're speaking of things of such great significance, we want to be able to speak well of him to have a clear understanding. And your book seeks to help us have a clear understanding of what the scriptures teach and those important elements that inform our understanding of who God is and what he's called us to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the, the, um, the important things, I think, for us as readers of scripture is uh, to know how to read scripture. Mm-hmm. And at its best, I think theology helps us find our way through the scriptures and find the center. Um, you know, often I'm, I'm uh, talking with folks about um, the scripture or, or listening to others speak about it, and, and it often seems like we're, we're kind of random in our approach to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe led as much by our own kind of sentiment or, or hope as anything else. 
and at its best, this this long conversation that is theology uh, helps us know where to start. Um, it helps us identify the parts of Scripture that are the most important, um, and it helps us understand how those various uh, pieces fit together. Well, let's begin where you begin in the book, and that is, where do we get started? How do we begin that conversation about God um, that constitutes theology? Sure, and I think we get a, an important signal uh, in the book of Acts when um, the early church is uh, experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in this very surprising way, and um, they need to make some some sense of this strange event to themselves and to the people around them, and so they go back and and um, they think through the scriptures, and um, they see these connections between their experience and what their scriptures um, were telling them. And that key point of, of connection is the life and the ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so I think that's, that's our way into the Bible. Um, there are parts of the Bible where, in a sense, we're reading other people's mail. We kind mm-hmm. of wonder, why does this apply to us? Um, and it applies to us, I think, because we've been brought into the story through uh, the person of Jesus. We begin. Please go ahead. Nope, that's the end of my talk. Okay. Um, if we begin in the in the Old Testament, the First Testament, if you will, um, we read the story of a, a people that God calls out from among the nations. When we are beginning to understand His story, uh, is that where we begin? Is with the people with a story that God is fashioning in real time and in history? I think it's real close. I think it's real close. Um, again, I think I think Jesus is where we where we begin. You know, if someone talks to me and asks me where they should start reading the Bible, I think we start with the Gospels. But then, very quickly, we understand that Jesus is a part of this long history. Um, this uh, people with this rich lineage of uh, walking with God, and that takes us into the the history of of ancient Israel and and their scriptures. So as we are considering who Jesus is and the history from which his life sprung, his connection with the nation of Israel, um, and we're trying to understand theology, God's story, what do we glean from this study of his life and um, his people? Well, I I think we gain a better understanding of of what Jesus was about, uh, his own self-understanding, by reading the First Testament or, or, or the Old Testament. Um, we understand that um, Jesus was a Jew, um, Paul was a Jew, and they brought their, those, those Jewish understandings uh, into their own life and their own ministry. And um, I, I, I think we, we miss a lot in the New Testament when we're not fluent in what's going on in the Old Testament. Well, there seems to be a trend right now where <clears throat> people, followers of, of Jesus, simply jettison the Old Testament as irrelevant and only cling to the New. But can we have a full appreciation of and understanding of the New Testament, the New Covenant, if we don't consider um, the Old Testament? You know, I think you're pointing us in the right direction. I don't think that we can. Um, and uh, the the Old Testament is uh, a witness um, to God, and um, we we really don't understand what the church is about uh, if we don't understand the Old Testament. And so, in in my book, there's a 
quite a chunk. I'm not sure if it's if it's half, um, but it's tracking the story of of God's people and God's self-revelation throughout the Old Testament. There's a way in which I think the Old Testament gives us a more well-rounded, sort of, um, fully orbed um, description of what it means to be um, to be God's people. It you know it it, it deals with all kinds of stuff relating to um, farming and, and families and, and um, you know, how we can bear prophetic witness to, to God's will in, uh, in challenging times. And I think it's a really important complement um, to the New Testament. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, but I'll continue my conversation with Anthony Segrist. He is a pastor, an author, and theologian serving a Mennonite congregation in Ottawa, Ontario. His latest book, Speaking of God, An Essential Guide to Christian Thought. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with pastor and author Anthony Segrist. He's a theologian serving a Mennonite congregation in Ontario, Canada. And we're talking about his book, Speaking of God, An Essential Guide to Christian Thought, that helps us to think about and speak of our Christian faith. Now, in the book, in addition to walking us through Scripture, you also introduce uh, other scholars and pilgrims and traditions uh, that relate to the Christian faith uh, over time. Who are some of the luminaries that you make reference to and that we would do well to to know and understand, to understand um, the history of the Christian faith as it developed uh, over time in Scripture and through history? Oh, that's a wonderful question. And uh, the truth is there's just, there's so many, it's, it's, it's hard to pick um, who really deserves our attention. Um, you know, one thing I, I would want to just just say before I give you a few names is, is I, I've found um, you know, learning from some of these historical voices to be so enriching. Um, sometimes I think we find, um, we find fellow pilgrims when we, when we read history. Uh, we find that people grapple with some of the things, same things that um, we've grappled with. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, the people that stand out to me... Um, you know, I've got to start with uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I'm sure many of your uh, listeners are familiar with um, the life and witness of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, his remarkable ability to um, to witness to the truth of Jesus Christ in a, a terribly difficult situation, um, it, it, it's, it's a constant challenge uh, to me, it really is. I think another, an, another name I'd, I'd add to that list... Um, it's a woman, a mystic named Julian Norwich, and um, just her her sense of being in uh, the presence of God um, and encountering Jesus, um, I think, is a rich challenge to um, many of us when our our prayer lives are are, uh, are kind of dull and and dry. Uh, her life of prayer was was vivid, um, and it was it was lively. So those are those are two names that I would I would start with, but there are many more. Yeah. Why is it important for us to have a sense of church history and our place in it? I think sometimes we see a a tremendous gulf between where we stand today in the 21st century and the first century church. We certainly learned uh, so much about how God guided and shaped them, but we we sometimes find it difficult to relate. And we're completely unfamiliar with the church as it developed in the years that followed. Why is it important and how does that help us? 
Yeah, I, I, I do think it's, it's, it's uh, exceptionally important. And, and it's important because a lot of the questions that we're asking, a lot of the things that are challenging us um, are not new. Uh, Christians have faced many of these challenges before, um, and they wrestled with some of the same challenging texts from, from Scripture before. Um, you know, for a lot of us uh, Protestants, we're kind of allergic to this notion of uh, tradition. Um, and we tend to kind of boil our, our spiritual lives down to us and God. Um, and that's certainly a great, a great place to start. But the truth is that um, God has been speaking to other people through the scriptures, through the witness of the Spirit, uh, for thousands of years and across uh, many different cultures. And so I think we would um, do well uh, to listen to the results of that conversation um, even if we certainly don't uh, you know, grant it the same authority that we might grant to Scripture itself. Uh, listening in on that, that conversation uh, is a great gift. Yeah, I love the thought of this cloud of witnesses, if you will, that have gone before us. And really, we stand on their faithfulness, those who were faithful in carrying the message of the gospel, living out that, their faith. And it reaching me in the 21st century, an African-American girl in Portland, Oregon, it, it just fascinates me to think of the history that led to my coming to know Jesus today. And so I, I think it, it should be interesting to all of us. But I think we sometimes struggle with where do we even begin to look? And I think your book helps in um, introducing some of that history and those people that we are connected to uh, by virtue of our common uh, faith in Christ. That's my hope. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, yeah. Um, you also, you know, when we're talking about theology, um, there are words and concepts that we may not fully understand. When we say words like creation, we understand what Genesis teaches. We know what the Bible has to say. But sin and redemption, the church and discipleship as theological or doctrinal concepts, we may struggle with, okay, what, what's the fullness of what that means? In speaking of God, do you help us understand those concepts in a way that we have a, a deeper regard for what God has done and an ability to converse about them in a way that reflects what Scripture teaches? I hope I do. Um, if anybody flips through the book, they'll see that certain terms are, are in bold, and um, those are the ones that I think are particularly challenging, um, but also important for being able to dig into the theological conversation and being able to understand other writers. And um, You know, there's a risk in using any kind of jargon or shorthand in any conversation. It can make some people feel like they don't belong or they're not smart enough to participate. Um, and so uh, we certainly don't want to go down that path. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, um, certain theological terms can help us sum up really big ideas or big experiences in a really quick, shorthand way. Um, and they can uh, keep, keep the conversation moving. So I, I hope that the book does that for its readers. Well, I would I would certainly say that it does. Um, again, you you uh, explore the works of great theologians like Augustine, Julian of Norwich, um, uh, and others. Uh, are there favorites that you would suggest um, our listeners begin to explore to help us understand, or is there a, a way that we read one after another that gives us a, a better understanding of the sweep of history and how theology uh, was debated and formed? Well, I, I hope, um, yeah, I hope that this book does that a little bit. Um, and there are certainly other church history books that one can simply pick up and try and read the full narrative. And, and I think that's a very valuable way to do it. Um, 
on the other hand, I think there's something to be said for simply following our noses. Um, you know, if, uh, if a, a name is mentioned or someone's story comes up in conversation or in books that we read or shows that we're listening to, um, simply following up and learning more about some of these people. Um, and, and because I think, I think sometimes we sense a sort of similarity uh, to our own lives or maybe some answers to questions that we have. And uh, so I think that's a perfectly fine way to do it. Um, obviously, someone like Augustine is, is certainly worthy of our attention. Um, and his Confessions in a good modern translation is a, is a great uh, text to, to sit with, both on a historical level and also just personally and devotionally. In speaking of God, what do you hope your listeners will gain in terms of their ability to converse about God and to engage in, in deep thought about their Christian faith? I hope they gain a sense of the, the beauty and the joy and the fun that uh, theological conversation can be, um, also the necessity of it for our churches. Um, we can't leave theology simply to pastors or to academic folks. Um, certainly today we need um, kind of all hands on deck for um, doing the sort of theological and biblical discernment that um, living at our, our time requires. So I, I hope the book gives uh, people some confidence in, uh, in moving forward in that way, being contributors to the theological conversation in their own, in their own place. Yeah, yeah. Well, Anthony Seacrest, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it very much. Once again, the book titled Speaking of God, An Essential Guide to Christian Thought. The book is published by Herald Press. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, News and Traffic, up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Seven minutes after five o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today, ladies and gentlemen, by Zero Res and Liberty Coin and Currency. Hey, later... In our next segment, we're going to have a conversation with Stephen Curtis Chapman. Actually, James conducted that interview. He had the opportunity to talk with him earlier today. Uh, he is coming to the Portland area, as you might know, for the Stephen Curtis Chapman Acoustic Christmas. He's going to introduce a special guest artist, Jillian Edwards. That's all coming up this Sunday. That's the 15th of December, 7 o'clock p.m. at Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin. Tickets available at kpdq.com if there are any still available because it's a very popular concert. Um, I love Stephen Curtis Chapman, his music, the depth of his lyrics and all of that. He'll be presenting that concert this Sunday, the 15th of December. Go to kpdq.com for more details and to get tickets if you haven't already done so. So looking forward to sharing that conversation with you. Well, six people, including a New Jersey police officer, were killed in an hours-long standoff and a shootout that brought a New Jersey City neighborhood to a standstill today. The shootings unfolded in a cemetery and a convenience store near the Sacred Heart School, so kids were in lockdown. Of the six people who died, one was a married 39-year-old police officer with five children. The others killed included two of the three suspects in the case, as well as three civilians. A second officer was struck in the shoulder by gunfire as well. Two others were hit by shrapnel, according to the local mayor. It's not clear what happened to the third suspect, described as a six-foot-tall black male wearing a black uh, outfit. 
I guess they call it clothing. It's not an outfit. Anyway, the uh, circumstances of the shootout also remain pretty uncertain, and the situation forced every public school in New Jersey into lockdown mode. The FBI is assisting the Jersey City Police in trying to get to the bottom of it all. But the governor, Phil Murphy, said in a statement, our thoughts and prayers are with the men and women of the Jersey City Police Department, especially with the officers shot during this standoff, and with the residents and school children currently under lockdown. I have every confidence in our law enforcement professionals to ensure the safety of the community and resolve this situation. Well, loud volleys of gunfire could be heard at regular intervals, but subsided around 2 p.m. local time, which is just across the uh, the city is just across the Hudson River from Manhattan. Dozens of bystanders pressed against the police barrier to uh, film the action on cell phones. Some whooping when the gunfire burst filled the air. Now, I would have been running for safety, but apparently people thought it more important to get images on their phones than to make sure that they were not in harm's way. Uh, One uh, individual who works three blocks away from the site of the shooting said that there had been consistent gunfire about an hour uh, uh, during the afternoon. He said he could hear the gunshots like firecrackers going off. The president tweeted, just received a briefing on the horrific shootout that took place in Jersey City, New Jersey. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and their families during this very difficult and tragic time. We will continue to monitor the situation as we assist local and state officials on the ground. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives said it was responding. The New York Police Department sent emergency service personnel and the forces counterterrorism unit was monitoring the situation as well. As I mentioned, several schools in the area were placed in lockdown while the situation was ongoing. Uh, the Jersey City Police Schools tweeted all students and staff are safe. Meanwhile, there's a, a sh- new sheriff in town and he isn't backing down. The Freedom From Religion Foundation is targeting an Alabama sheriff's office for calling on citizens to pray during times of tragedy. But they're not in the least bit worried. Uh, the Wisconsin-based group, a self-described nonprofit with a P-R-O-P-H-E-T nonprofit, P-R-O-F-I-T watchdog for atheism, agnosticism, and skepticism, went after Walker County Sheriff Nick Smith for pleas to pray in the wake of two recent tragedies, the shooting death of a county sheriff, John Williams, and another referencing a tragedy involving a young boy and a sheriff's deputy, asking the community to pray, not mandating that they pray, insisting that they do so, but simply saying, under these circumstances, uh, please pray. Well, the issue here is that the sheriff's office has a pattern of using tragedy to promote the idea of prayer, and our letter reminds the sheriff not everyone in Walker County prays. Well, that's perfectly fine. He asked that you do so. You can decline. Um, the associate counsel, San Grover, wrote a letter accusing the sheriff of disregarding the Constitution. But T.J. Armstrong, a public information officer with the Walker County Sheriff's Office, says that they were shocked to receive the complaint because they haven't violated any constitutional laws, state or local. Our response is going to be to continue to do the best we can, Armstrong said. We've never once received a single complaint. When asked if they would uh, change anything because of the uh, letter, he responded, it's uh, a very implicit No, we're not looking for a fight, he said. However, we will not cower down, especially when it comes to our individual faith. Since the complaint, the sheriff's office has received messages of support from the county and across the country. Uh, We stand behind Sheriff Smith, the sheriff said. We have uh, far bigger things to do, so we're um, going to pray for them and continue to serve and protect the people of Walker County, Alabama. And that's what Sheriff Smith was elected to do. Meanwhile, a yet-to-be-launched New Testament-inspired video game that lets gamers play as Jesus Christ is causing a stir. A trailer for I Am Jesus Christ has been grabbing plenty of attention 
Posted to YouTube by a Polish game developer, Playway, the trailer indicates that I Am Jesus Christ includes miracle-working, crucifixion, and resurrection storylines. You are the chief character. The trailer has been viewed by more than 330,000 people, or 330,000 times since it was posted Back on the 6th of December on YouTube, I Am Jesus Christ is a realistic simulator game inspiring the uh, the stories from the New Testament of the Bible, explains the description on the video game distribution site uh, stream. Uh, Check it if uh, if you can perform all famous miracles from the Bible like Jesus Christ, uh, which is a title, not his last name. It is a simulation game and you can try to save the world as he did. I think the developers clearly have a misunderstanding about the theology behind all of that. Are you ready to fight with Satan in the desert, exercising demons and curing sick people, or calm the storm in the sea? Well, the game's subject matter has caused plenty of buzz on social media. The features on I Am Jesus Christ are gold, realistic fight with Satan, tweeted one um, responder. I Am Jesus Christ is a real game based on the New Testament, and it begs the question, are you ready to fight with Satan in the desert, tweeted another I Am Jesus Christ has also received criticism. Too Far Playway, thumbs down, wrote one commentator on their Facebook page in response to the trailer. I'm not sure how to feel about this, wrote another. Well, no details on the game's release date have been posted, although the description on the uh, uh, on Steam says it will be coming soon. Playway says that the game's release date is not yet known, even by them. So they don't know when I Am the Christ will appear. Meanwhile, there's a new um, faith-based TV series, The Chosen, that tells the story of Jesus, the start of something very special, according to some. You can now binge watch the story of Jesus from your phone just in time for Christmas. VidAngel, a faith-based streaming company that allows users to filter language, nudity, and other content from shows, released The Chosen Season 1 on Monday um, uh, through its own app of the same name as the show, which has already been downloaded and streamed in 142 countries. The um, uh, individual who plays Jesus says he looks forward to portraying Christ for more seasons to come. Playing that role, the role of Jesus Christ, is the preeminent honor, not only of my career, but of my life, he says. With this series, we're afforded the opportunity to take our time with the greatest story ever told and to savor it. The eighth episode, first season, garnered massive audience support with more than 16,000 people investing over $10 million into the project. The Chosen faith-based TV series. You can now binge watch. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, Stephen Curtis Chapman. His acoustic Christmas coming to Portland, or at least Tualatin, on Sunday. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show, 93.9 KPDQ-FM. I'm producer James Blinn sitting in the pilot chair right now. And I want to take a few moments to talk to you about a special event coming up this Sunday. I think it's been about a year and a half ago. We had Stephen Curtis Chapman uh, that we brought in with our sister station, The Fish, doing a solo concert, a fantastic evening of stories and songs. And I'm excited to say that coming up this Sunday, Stephen Curtis Chapman is back. And this time it is all about Christmas. And it's the Acoustic Christmas introducing Jillian Edwards. It's coming up Sunday night. December 15th, 7 o'clock concert. Uh, tickets are available at kpdq.com. And I can tell you right now, there are not many left at all. But, uh, you know, if you get in there now, you're going to get a ticket. You're going to get in and you're going to get to take a look at a very special evening of Christmas songs and stories. And here to talk about them is none other than the man himself, Stephen Curtis Chapman. How are you today, Stephen? Hey, I'm doing great, James. Great to talk to you, my brother. 
Absolutely. We are so excited about this. Solo was uh, so much fun. Um, the stories, the songs, the laughter, the tears. I mean, it was an emotional, wonderful evening of music. Tell folks a little bit about um, how Solo became and how it's now morphed into a Christmas. Well, yeah, the, the Solo uh, tour has been one of one of my favorite things uh, I've done um, really ever. I mean, I've had a privilege of touring for years with amazing bands and and uh, musicians around me. I love that. But um, I, you know, there's a saying that we have in, in Nashville, Tennessee, where all my music comes from uh, all, all these years, really. Um, it all begins with a song. And, you know, it, it my story, my life, I took the time a couple of two, three years ago to write my story and put it in a book called Between Heaven and the Real World and kind of share my journey with people. And in doing that, I thought, gosh, I'd love to turn this into a concert experience and kind of share my story, you know, using the music that's that's really come from that story that has connected my story and my life with so many others. And it was just one of the coolest things I, I love being able to hear people sing with me i love being able to you know it was more kind of intimate uh settings a little smaller you know venues and theaters and and churches and, and places where i've really felt like we were just almost sitting in a living room saying hey let's just remember together god's faithfulness and our journeys and our stories that and and the music that's connected it so kind of from that which uh you know i'm i'm going to Lord willing, continue to, to do some of that because it's been so fun for me. And just I think the audience has enjoyed hearing those songs, you know, just just kind of stripped down kind of the way they were first created and, and written. And so the idea with this Christmas tour was people were saying, man, you know, it'd be really cool to see you do a similar kind of thing with, with your Christmas music because it's been a part of our life and our journey and our story as well now for, gosh, my first Christmas album came out, you know, twenty five years ago or something like that. And, um, and so that was kind of the, the idea behind this of what if I took sort of that same spirit of the solo tour, I do have a couple of other guys with me on stage, um, a couple of other players and a couple of just world-class musicians that play a little bit of everything. I've got one guy who's um, played with me for years, played bass, uh, on the road with me that playing cello and, and upright bass and piano and guitar. He's kind of, you know, jumping around to all different instruments. And then I've got another incredible musician, Keith Sewell, who I played with on some recordings. First met him when he was 19 years old playing with Ricky Skaggs. He's one of the great bluegrass pickers on the planet. And um, he, I used him on my most recent album, which was incidentally a bluegrass album uh, called Where the Bluegrass Grows. So I asked him if he would be he had a little break from the road. He tours with Lyle Lovett, and uh, and so I asked him if he'd come out and maybe do this with me, and he said he would. So uh, it was it's been pretty amazing to get to have these guys on tour with me and kind of creating a you know a really unique night of music. Um, there's a bunch of instruments on stage. He's playing about five different instruments, from fiddle to mandolin to guitar, and um, and then you know myself and you mentioned Jillian Edwards, who is my uh, just amazing, angelic-voiced daughter-in-law. I've used her, uh, had her sing with me on a couple of my albums before, and um, particularly on a Christmas song that uh, was on my last Christmas album called I Am Joseph. And 
So I asked her if she'd come out and join me, and she said yes. And um, she's truly has the voice of an angel. And I thought, well, what better time to have an angel come, you know, join you on stage to sing than Christmas music? Uh, you know, angelic voices kind of go well with Christmas music. So uh, it's been it's been really special, and I'm I'm excited. Most of these have have been kind of close to our part of the country. We're going to venture one time out west and come see you guys in Portland. So I'm really excited about it. Absolutely. And of course, if you're just joining us, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Acoustic Christmas and introducing Jillian Edwards. It is this Sunday, December 15th, 7 o'clock is the concert time. Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin is the location. For tickets, you can visit uh, kpdq.com or thefishportland.com and uh, you can get those before they run out. We anticipate this show will sell out, so you do want to get your tickets early uh, in the week here as uh, we, we head towards that inevitable sellout. And Stephen, we're in that time of year. It's it's Christmas. People are preparing. Uh, I think a few of us feel that we have a little less time with the late Thanksgiving this year. But uh, talk a little bit about, you know, obviously Christmas album, the first one's about 25 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday, which probably tells you how old I am, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> that's okay. The, uh, what is, um, even back then to kind of back now, talk a little bit about Christmas at the Chapman's, what it is today, and kind of how it's changed over the years for you guys. Oh, boy, yeah. Well, you know, my song Christmas is on the heart, which I recorded on my first Christmas album and then re-recorded it a few years ago and have had, you know, the the blessing of C.C. Winan singing with me on it the first time, and then Vince Gill joined me on it the second time I recorded it, and now Jillian Edwards joins me uh, on, on stage to sing it. Um, but that song sort of uh, chronicles my you know, my Christmas memories uh, as a little boy growing up in Kentucky and um, me and my brother and our very simple but very, uh, you know, as I recall them, just amazing, you know, Christmases that we had together as a family. And then, you know, starting out my Christmases with Mary Beth 35 years ago, our first Christmas was 35 years ago, our first Christmas as a married couple when we went and got our first Christmas tree. And I, I talk about this a little bit in concert and tell some stories about, you know, just those memories, um, you know, and how our humble beginnings of our first Christmas um, that would, you know, grow the first, you know, the, the next, by the next Christmas, we had a stocking hanging for, for Emily who was coming, you know, in a couple of months um, after Christmas. So we, you know, God gave us the gift of little ones um, like, very early on and we had Emily and then Caleb and then Will Franklin. And so we had three stockings, you know, within the first, you know, five, six years of our, uh, of our marriage or maybe within the first seven years, I guess. And, you know, of course the music and all that started to, you know, grow and, and things got busier and crazier. And, you know, now we gather and we don't have enough room on our mantle for all the stockings um, you know, because now between six kids, you know, stockings and six grandbaby stockings now, um, plus mine and Mary Beth's and all the in-laws, uh, three of our kids are married. I mean, it's like now turned into, you know, a mantle full of, I mean, in fact, we kind of have to double up, you know, now they're all crowded on there. And it's crazy when we think about just how God has blessed us in that way and the the stories and Obviously, adoption is a huge part of, you know, our Christmas celebration because we, you know, we, we see how our family's grown by that miracle and grateful for that. We also, 
you know, and I think this is really a big part of why these tours are important for me, besides just love getting to play Christmas music, love getting to celebrate, you know, the, the miracle of Christmas, the, the hope of God being with us, you know, that reality obviously became even exponentially more important to us 11 years ago and our first Christmas without Maria, you know, our youngest daughter. And when we hung her stocking, you know, with just this, you know, deep, deep heaviness in our heart, just a hole in, in, in our heart that is still there. And every year we hang that stocking, you know, did just about a week ago, pulled it out of the box. It's hard. It's heavy and it's sad. And it's, we can only do it knowing that the story's not over yet, but also acknowledging that Christmas while it's joy to the world, it's, you know, all the fun festive, the most wonderful time of the year. Andy Williams sings about, you know, it's also the most painful, difficult, hard time of the year for so many of us because it's a time when we're reminded of what's not as it should be. You know, maybe, and I know of several families this Christmas that are dear friends of mine that are going to gather for the first time. They're already beginning to dread. How are we going to make it? How are we going to go through this? Because we're going to just be reminded of that person that's not there and what's missing. And and yet, for me, the reason this Christmas concert and this tour has been so important is because I get an opportunity from our own story of grief and loss and sadness that we carry with us that Christmas is 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 the game changer. I mean, the fact that God said, I'm going to come into not a palace far off and a, you know, a, a cradle, you know, gold plated cradle fit for a king, the king of kings. But he said, I'm going to come to an animal's feeding trough as my bed to a manger, you know, in a stable, in a barn. Um, and I'm going to say with the way I'm going to enter into my world, I mean, of all the ways God could have come, the fact that he came as a helpless, vulnerable baby and would live a life that says, I am going to walk with you. I am with you. And I'm going to rescue you, but I'm going to come be with you in in this brokenness. That, is, that has been such a, just a heart changer for us. And it doesn't mean... We still don't sometimes wonder how we're going to make it, how we're going to survive. We still, it's not like, hey, it's all, you know, it's all behind us. Um, I mean, but it, but the difference that that makes, and that's what I feel like, if I can encourage people with that in this Christmas concert, um, that that's worth doing. That's powerful. I want to put you on hold here real quick. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we need to get some of those commercial messages in. Stephen Curtis Chapman is my guest. The concert is this Sunday. It's Acoustic Christmas, Rolling Hills Community Church, presented by KPDQ and our sister station, The Fish. Tickets available at kpdq.com and thefishportland.com. I'm James Blinn. This is the Georgian Rice Show on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. This is the Georgine Rice Show, 93.9 KPDQ. I'm James Blood, producer of the program, of course, joining you. And uh, on the phone with me is Stephen Curtis Chapman. The show is coming up Sunday evening, mere days away. That's right. Acoustic Christmas at Rolling Hills Community Church, kpdq.com, thefishportland.com are the two places you can get your tickets. They are going fast. They will sell out. Um Trust me, if uh, if you're planning on going, now is the time to get your tickets. Stephen, we talked a little bit about the redemptive nature of, of, of Christmas before um, 
before we took the break, and I want to change direction just a little bit. You had mentioned earlier um, uh, the bluegrass album, Deeper Roots, and um, the one of the things that I noticed about that album, um, of course, was you, know, you had covered Dive, which is a song that I think means a lot to a lot of people, including myself. Um, but we also know we've heard it a lot over the years. Talk about how you absolutely reinvented that song particularly to make it one of the freshest things I've heard in a long time. <laughs> well, it was it, it kind of happened uh, very organically, actually. We were, I've been playing the Grand Ole Opry a little bit more as of late and uh, just getting a chance to, you know, play some of the music that I grew up with. Um, I, I performed on the Opry first time when I was about 19 years old. It was years ago. Um, I was working at a place called Opry Land USA in Nashville. It was an amusement park and I got invited to come sing on the Grand Ole Opry and sing a George Jones country song. He stopped loving her today and you know, this was in the beginning of, I was writing songs, but hadn't, you know, hadn't started really getting my songs published. Be a few years later, I'd get a chance to make my first album. And, uh, but that's always been just a part of my, you know, my musical DNA. I grew up with bluegrass music. Um, it's the first music I heard as a little boy, my dad and his buddies playing music growing up in Kentucky. So, um, I, I got an opportunity to, you know, to make this album, uh, to start thinking about making this album. And, um, while I was, you know, in the kind of in the process of arranging and, and thinking about the songs and what songs I might want to record, uh, I was playing on Opry one night and, I uh, had some amazing, just kind of world-class bluegrass players with me. A lot of guys who had played with Ricky Skaggs over the years and Ricky had become a buddy of mine. We've done some things together and I said, hey, I've always wanted to see what Dive would sound like uh, as a bluegrass song. You know, I said, I, you know, it's always been recorded and thought of as kind of this sort of rock pop song. And I said, but I just think something tells me it would make a great bluegrass song. And uh, so I started kind of messing around with it and playing. And these guys started all jumping in. And it just came alive. And they're all looking at each other like, man, I think this thing was born to be, you know, a burning bluegrass, you know, number and so we did that and and uh, did it backstage at the Opry. And I said, well, let's play it. You know, let's play it out on the on Opry. And that night I just said, there's, there's got to be a way to record this song, get it on an album, put it on this bluegrass album. That, In fact, that song probably was in a big way to, you know, to kind of help me push, you know, push the idea over the, you know, over the hill to, to get a bluegrass album made. Because I just thought, I want a, I want an album where I can, I can put this song on it and it, you know, where's it going to fit on one of my regular albums, but let me just make an album that really honors this music. That's so important to me. And, uh, I'll invite all my, you know, my family, my dad sings with me, my 80 year old papa sings with me on this album, which is so cool. My brother, um, my son, Caleb sang on a, a, a new version of be still and know my daughter-in-law, Jillian, who's going to be with me in the concert, sang with me on the song and then Ricky Skaggs came into this this version of Dive, and he loved it too because he knew the original. And he came in and was like, "This is a bluegrass song. Man, this is awesome." So it was very cool. So I think what people are probably figuring out by now is music is kind of kind of a family affair in the Chapman household. Yep, absolutely, very much so. My boys, of course, in their band Colony House, which are just crushing it. They're just kind of taking the music world by storm. They've got a new album getting ready to come out. And uh, so proud of those guys. So, yeah, it is very much a, a family affair. 
So, of course, the, 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 the final question as we wrap up, we've talked about Christmas, we've talked about the Christmas show, we've talked about Deeper Roots. What's next for Stephen Curtis Chapman? Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, I mean, right now, this is uh, getting this Christmas tour kind of wrapped up and, and uh, getting, you know, Christmas time. And Mary Beth and I have got some things planned next year that we're going to be doing together. We've got a cruise that she's going to join me for and going to do some some evenings together where she's just going to share a little bit of her perspective of our journey which is always really special she wrote a book a few years ago choosing to see just about her own journey and so i think those things are going to be special for us we're you know we've got a lot going on we've got our last one in in the nest dv joy who is a junior in high school um graduating in one year about a year and a half so you know the days are numbered with her so trying to be involved all of her things and um you know, now as as Pop Pops and Grammy, uh, our grand grand grandparent names, you know, we're trying to be there, involved in their our kids' lives. But you know, I've I've I know there's going to be some new music coming. Uh, I've been writing and been doing some things uh, in that area, but there's not any immediate plan to say here's when the next album would come out or whatever. But um, but I know I'll uh, there will be some new music coming sometime within the next year i think for sure fantastic steven i i thank you for your time i thank you for this concert i can tell you that it is 100 percent an honor for us to be able to bring you in uh from time to time and we are super excited about acoustic christmas this, this sunday thank you so much it's great talking with you really enjoyed it and can't wait to see you guys steven curtis chapman joining us the concert is Acoustic Christmas. It is Sunday night, 7 o'clock, kpdq.com, thefishportland.com, two places to get your tickets. They are going fast. They will sell out. I assure you of this. Um, so uh, but definitely get yours earlier in the week if you're interested. It is a fantastic night. I was at the solo show. It was a wonderful evening. Like I said, laughter, tears, fantastic music, amazing stories, and a man who just, as you can tell, truly bears his soul um, in, in the good and the bad and what God has done through that uh what a fantastic storyteller and uh, you know that uh this is a man who is showing you his true heart on stage every single night stephen curtis chapman the acoustic christmas uh with featuring jillian edwards his daughter-in-law that is coming up sunday night again seven o'clock december 15th kpdq.com is where you get your tickets we're going to take a break georgine will be back to wrap things up on 93.9 kpdq fm you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Just want to remind you that if you are planning on attending the Stephen Curtis Chapman Acoustic Christmas and you don't yet have your tickets, you need to get on that right away because they are going fast. And, of course, that's coming up on the 15th. That's this coming Sunday at Rolling Hills Community Church. So be sure to check that out. Well, for the third year in a row now, you yeah, you version um, version users have clung to exhortations against worry more than any other verse in the Bible. Well, the Bible app's most popular verse of 2019 has now been revealed. In the year 2019, version users read 36.5 billion chapters, listened to 5.6 billion chapters through its online and mobile Bible app. Uh, in all this, um, uh, this reading, Paul's advice to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 6 was the most shared 
highlighted and bookmarked verse of the year. And what is it? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. That is, for at least you version, the Bible verse of the year. Well, the verse contains similar themes to you version's most popular verses in 2018, which was Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. And 2017's top verse, Joshua 1.9, Do not be afraid, do not be encouraged. There seems to rather, do not be discouraged. There seems to be a theme running here. Well, other popular verses in 2019 were Matthew 6.33, 2 Timothy 1.7. We're encouraged to see so many people turning to the Bible in response to their worries, remembering what God has done in their lives, and choosing to trust in His faithfulness. Bobby Grunwald, who's a pastor and innovation leader for Life Church and Version founder, Christianity Today previously reported on some of the issues that Um, uh, They have been um, dealing with uh, on that uh, site that helps inform generally leadership in the church as to where people are concerned, where they're looking for encouragement in scripture and so on. Christianity Today uh, previously reported on some of the issues that uh, evangelicals worry about, according to a Pew Research survey. Uh, Undergoing a personal health crisis, about 75 percent, being able to pay for their bills, 67% were being the victim of a home invasion, 72%, or a terrorist attack, 66%. Well, for Bible Gateway users, the most popular verse of 2019 was a traditional favorite, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus' well-known summary of the gospel uh, alternates with the often misunderstood Jeremiah 29.11 as the most searched verse of the year on Bible Gateway's website and app. Uh, Jonathan Peterson, content manager for Bible Gateway, said the reason these verses remain so popular with Bible Gateway users is how frequently the verses come up in conversation, in sermons, and even uh, from the mouths of celebrities. We believe the continual high ranking of these verses reflects the hope and encouragement needed for everyone around the world, and we're honored to be able to bring the Word of God wherever it's needed. Philippians 4.13, Romans 8.28, Psalm 23.4, Romans 12, 2, and Psalm 23, verses 6, 5, um, and uh, chapters 1 and 3, round out the top 10 verses uh, searched by uh, those who have gone to Bible Gateway to find the scriptures they're looking for. Well, the site uh, receives visitors from over 200 countries. They offer 200 versions of the Bible in 70 languages. Most visits to Bible Gateway come from the United States, from Great Britain, Mexico, Canada, and Colombia. The countries where visits to the uh, uh, to the Bible Gateway increased the most in 2019 were Morocco at 37.6%, the Isle of Man 128%, Dominica 59%, Comoros 59%, the British Virgin Islands at 56%, and Vatican City at 37%. And this is uh, the increase that they saw in 2019 from countries where scriptures were uh, searched on the site. Eleven years after its inception, Uversion Bible app continues its worldwide expansion. Use of the app grew by nearly 50 million unique installs in 2019, a 30% increase from 2018, and that's encouraging because people are searching and reading God's Word, with most of the new users located outside of the United States. In total, Uversion has had 400 million unique downloads worldwide. Countries that saw the greatest increase in usage were Algeria, Chad, and Poland, 
Compared with 2018, Bible engagement increased in Algeria by 261 percent. Now, despite the Algerian government's recent crackdown on churches, users are finding God's word elsewhere. Users in Chad and in Poland, they increased their Bible engagement by 116 percent and 75 percent respectively. So, again, it's very encouraging to consider that people are looking uh, to and looking for uh, God's word and they're doing so Online In the United States, the American Bible Society's 2019 State of the Bible Survey conducted by Barna shows that Bible engagement has increased slightly, but that over a third of adults now say they never turn to the Bible, up 10 percent points from 2011, which was 25 percent. So while we're encouraged that people are searching for the scriptures using these new technologies, uh, there, there is still a, a lack of interest among many, even those uh, who uh, remain believers and followers in Christ. And that's not just using the technology, uh, technology, but in general, a lack of interest in or engagement in God's word. Well, taking a look at um, later this week on the program, tomorrow we're going to talk with Hank Hanegraaff. He's the author most recently of Truth Matters, Life Matters More. Now, this is from the Bible Answer Man. It's a significant statement, so I'm looking forward to talking with him about that. Truth Matters, Life Matters More, The Unexpected Beauty of an authentic life. Uh, we're also going to uh, talk with Michael Allen Harrison, who begins, I believe it's his 29th season at the Old Church, his Christmas concert that is one of the most popular events around this uh, this season. Um, and we'll be talking with him about that. Uh, then on Thursday, we'll talk with Gary Thomas, author of When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. That can be somewhat of a challenge, and we'll talk about how to do that in a way that is... Um, is God honoring? So make note that's coming up on Thursday. And then on Friday, my mother, Lillian Yvonne Rose, will be celebrating her 89th birthday. Now, she has said to me in the last several weeks that she cannot believe she's going to be 89, particularly when her kidney started to fail and she was on dialysis for about a year. She had resigned herself to the fact that this was probably how God was going to take her home. Dialysis is very difficult. It drains you. And in her case, as I think is true in most people's case, uh, she went in for dialysis three times a week. And while it is a way of cleansing the blood in a way that the kidney is no longer able to on on their own, I say singular because I'm only left with one, um, it did the job for the kidney, but it left you exhausted. And she assumed that would be the way God would call her home. Well, I remember praying during that season, Lord, could you make it possible for my kidney to be a match to my mother and to make her a candidate for a kidney transplant? And he answered my prayer. I remember um, making the suggestion she would not have uh, imagined asking because you don't ask your children for such a thing. Um, but God had put it on my heart. I uh, suggested and asked uh, the doctors if that might be possible. I went through a battery of tests because it's important that you, first of all, have a kidney that's healthy. Secondly, that one that you could live without and that's compatible with the person to whom you would make the uh, the donation. Well, it all worked out just as I had asked. And God, in his great mercy, on her birthday, 25 years ago, Friday, uh, took us through that uh, that surgery. It was a very sweet time for she and I as we had the opportunity to share a hospital room in our recovery. And I remember being asked, oh, do you do you want to share a room with your mom? They sort of took me aside. And it was such a sweet time, the two of us recovering at OHSU. And we'll be celebrating that anniversary on Friday and uh, her birthday in general. And then the following day, uh, we'll be hosting a special tea for her and her 
uh, oldest and dearest friend. So I'll be off on Friday and looking forward to spending some time with Mama. So just a heads up on that. I want to thank James Blind for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Hope you'll join us here again tomorrow. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.